Hi everyone, welcome to the fourth annual Capital Link Singapore Maritime Forum. And this is the discussion around alternative finance uh, in the shipping industry. And we have a fantastic panel here today uh, from all the various stakeholders uh, in the shipping finance space, representing banks, alternative finance providers, ship owners, and charters. So to introduce you to the to the stellar cast, we have uh, Mr. T.C. Wong, who is Senior Vice President, Corporate Banking, uh, APAC at DMB Bank. Uh, Mr. Gopal Shah, who is the Director of Corporate Treasury and Structured Trade Finance at Golden Agri Resources. Captain Shubhangshu Dutt, who is the Executive Director at Home Maritime. Dimitris Dalbas, who is the Head of Shipping Finance Asia Pacific at European Group. And Keng Sen Chu, who is the Regional Head Shipping Finance for Standard Chartered Bank. Welcome everyone to this uh, forum. So just to start the discussion off, uh, of course, with the current outlook and setting the scene, uh, things are never dull in the, the world of shipping, are they? I mean, suddenly we've gone from uh, relatively cold 2020 where uh, people wondering what the long-term implications of COVID would be to a very hot uh, super cycle, almost a super beginning of a super cycle uh, in uh, 2021. And then suddenly, to be further disrupted by a crisis in Ukraine. Uh, there is a, there's been a huge amount of activity and development that's been seemingly packed into the last year and a half. Uh, given that context, how do you view uh, the previous financial year and what is likely to be the agenda for financing and capital requirements in 2022? Uh, who would like to go first? Well, uh, maybe I, 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 I can start. Sorry, yeah. I get TC, go ahead. Yeah, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, well, um, 2021 had been uh, a good year, actually, for, for DMB, um, as with, I, I, I believe, quite a few other banks. Um, many shipping clients uh, were, were tapping the bank market, not only due to the pent-up demand uh, for financing overflowing from the 2020, but also due to a very active uh, M&A market. Um, like you pointed out, Dev, uh, we, we, we did see a slight tightening in the banking and capital market especially in Europe, when the Ukraine uh, war broke out in, in, in February. And uh, that resulted in increased funding costs compared to the last year. But hopefully, you know, with, with the current developments, uh, this, this hopefully leads to some easing on the funding cost side. For 2022, and, and perhaps the immediate following years, as far as shipping goes, we expect um, to continue our focus on sustainability and transition financing. Our ambition as a bank uh, is to be a driving force for energy transition uh, to a more sustainable future. And to achieve that, um, you know, in, in DMB, we also announced certain targets, which include emissions reduction, uh, reduction targets for shipping portfolio, for example, and also strive to include sustainability clauses in, in new credit facilities. Yeah. Thank you, DC. Kingston, you had a... Thank, thanks, Dave, and uh, thank you very much for, for uh, inviting me to the forum and the Capital Link. And this is a fantastic uh, opportunity to kind of lay out uh, um, in conjunction with Singapore Maritime Week. And I echo what, and I echo what TC has been saying. Right, the 2021 was a good year from a from a financing perspective uh, for for banks on the shipping finance space, and our focus. Um, likewise, is kind of looking to support our, our, our clients on the transition basis. So, um, from a standard charter perspective, we signed up to Poseidon principles last year 
um, you know, um, and recently launched our net zero commitment plus our transition strategy. What that means from a shipping finance perspective is that we are as an organization prepared to look at new technologies that our clients are looking to invest in, um, you know, may, may it be kind of ammonia dual fuel engines, uh, LNG, etc. But we want to kind of look at it more holistically uh, as we believe transition needs to be just in any efforts that you know um, our client base looks to improve their carbon footprint, you know, whether it's in an operational front or you know, uh, looking to kind of invest in balanced water treatments uh, to prepare for the coming year. So, so that, that is where our focus has been that will be continuing uh, to 2022. Um, and likewise, uh, there will be heightened concerns uh, given whatever's happening in Ukraine, higher, more uncertainty, but the fundamentals remain the same. Dimitris? Back over to you. Yeah. Dev, thank you very much. And thank you to Capital Link for the, you know, for the invitation and the great event. I echo, you know, Kexim's uh, comments. I, I would like to go a little bit back. Uh, not, not that long ago, in, at the end of 2019, everybody was talking about IMO 2020. Then COVID-19, you know, hit our shores in about February, March 2020. Then, you know, all discussions stopped. Uh, we see 2021 as a continuity of uh, 2020, where most banks, especially in this part of the world, put their pencils down. Asia remembered SARS. So very quickly, everybody went into a defense mode, uh, trying to be you know, risk averse, uh, trying to see who will be the survivors, which sectors will be you know, impacted and which will not be. Uh, with the exception of, obviously, uh, the big, international ship financing banks that, you know, carried on, albeit with delays, and Chinese leasing companies, most of the Asian financial institutions really, really slowed down in 2020. So come 2021, they had to meet their budget, they had to, you know, finance their clients and look for new clients. But most importantly, and I guess, you know, all my fellow panelists will agree, shipping finally, stopped being the ugly duck and became, if you want, the beautiful white swan. We've heard nonstop about aviation and how lenders like aviation and airlines, okay? I think it was very nice in 2020 and 2021 to see our companies, okay, our clients outperforming the market. As consumers, we paid the price, but as people working in the industry, okay, it was music to our ears. So, I see if you want coming to your question about 2022. Uh, we see most of the companies doing extraordinarily well, great results, great profitability. We will talk about it later on. Thankfully, not a huge you know, order book, at least in some sectors. We can talk about container ships. Uh, so banks have no difficulty whatsoever financing the clients, looking for new projects, okay, at even lower LTVs great terms. The survivors, if you want, from the crisis of 2008, 2010, 12, 14, 16, every year was a bad year until 2020. So I believe, I believe shipping and shipping finance come forward for this year. Okay, we'll have another great, if you want, uh, result. Thank you, Dimitris. Now, if Thanks. we can uh, bring in the other side of the equation, the, the borrowers and the finance users, uh, Captain Dutt, 
as uh, a ship owner and operator, what would you uh, view the last uh, year and the year coming to be? Yeah, hey, thanks, Dave, and and yeah, thanks for having me on this panel. Um, so yes, we heard the three lenders, and and they are very optimistic. Yeah, for uh, for OM Maritime as a boy uh, as a borrower, uh, yeah, it has the the 2021 has really been a roller coaster year, a roller coaster which never went down, and and um, nobody was really prepared for this kind of um activity the the number of transactions are similar as as the movie fast and furious they came by the ships got snapped up if you were a bit slow uh, you were just left twiddling your thumbs you know so so yeah it has been a great year i i must point out that uh, in this environment you have to have a lender who is equally fast and responsive uh, because you you know there, there is no time for um, the traditional formalities uh, prior to lending. So I, I must really commend our lenders, Oak Tree and, and Mirbom have been really responsive. They have taken an almost alignment of our view on the container market. And that is why we were able to close as much as 11 transactions over the year. Um, and, and of course, we, we saw the prices touching uh, unbelievable levels, um, but I think that didn't that didn't deter. Um, of course, some of the mechanisms were adjusted, but it, basically the lending continued. So, and and without without compromising their risk, you know, it wasn't it wasn't um, uh, indiscreet decision or something. So they they basically covered their bases and and did so. Uh, so looking at it, I think I share the view that 2022 will remain a positive year. The only, only point I keep seeing in the market is there are no more ships available for sale in this year. Maybe some odd here in the uh, units here. So, so that's, that's my view in, in summary. Thanks. Thank you so much, Captain Nath. And uh, now, finally, last but not least, Gopal, uh, from a charterer's perspective, who's who's uh, in the market now uh, uh, for ships to uh, carry all the excess uh, demand that you're facing. What are the challenges that you see? Well, you know, no discussions can be complete without, you know, one of the most remarkable year, which was uh, 2020, you know, and the impact of it, you know, and, and we've seen, you know, the wave. It came, it, you know, there was an ebb and then it, you know, we see a surge in commodity prices, a complete change, you know, from a situation with a negative, you know, uh, cost of fuel versus today, you know, whatever it is and where it is going, you know. Uh, almost we are into a situation where we face energy crisis. But you know, in short, we did end up with a very, very good year because of the surge in commodities. And I would say that, you know, a lot was due to the revenge, uh, you know, in the demand, which came back and the constraints on the supply side. And one of them, which was contributed, you know, because of the logistical issues as well as lack of ships or, you know, any restrictions to do with COVID. So, a very challenging year in terms of VUCA, which is volatility, uncertainty, 
uh, you know, an ambiguity as far as the market is concerned. Uh, liquidity in the market has been uh, flush, but where was it? It's a million dollar question with whether it went for the real business or whether it was paper. Uh, and that liquidity has caused a lot of volatility and, you know, managing risk. And I think, you know, going forward, uh, you know, although the returns and profits look very good and attractive, I think, uh, you know, the risk will remain heightened as far as the real economy is concerned, because there are many things which are coming up in the market. And, uh, you know, to get the supplies right uh, to the customers becomes a very important challenge. And as uh, Mr. Dutt pointed out that, look, you know, the availability of ships is, you know, is, 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 is pretty low as far as the supply side is concerned. So we will face a challenging year as far as servicing our customers is concerned. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, having said that, fantastic year continues to be because the commodity prices are high. Uh, but, uh, you know, the risk, there are too many risks and, you know, uh, keeping a tab on the risk and managing your business well becomes a very big priority and going back to basics. Thanks, Gopal. So I think one one theme that seems to be sort of coming across uh, is the lack of availability of ships at the moment for financing and the market being sort of very active. Uh, could I could either Captain Dutt or Gopal uh, talk about whether that's that's exacerbated by some of the demands for greener ships is that uh, uh, where you see that financing is more readily be, uh, readily available for greener ships or is it just a, a factor of all ships being sort of uh, in high demand at the moment given the uh, market on commodities at the moment uh, okay so, I'll, I'll attempt sure. that ah, sorry uh, so the the shortage is now really in the container ship sector Right. The other two segments, the bulk and tankers, are okay. They they are balanced because there was no, you didn't have this frenzied buying um, of and and they were all secondhand ships and they were pretty old ships which would which would really stick out like a sore thumb when put against their green green cousins, you know. So so yes, I mean today the idea was to just get hold of a ship. Uh, the, right. Getting the green ships is something in the long term, and mostly it would be on the new buildings. Uh, there isn't very much that can be done on the existing ships. Um, so, yes, uh, on the long term strategy, uh, all the container lines who are flush with cash are definitely now able to uh, look at green strategy. Something, had you asked them three years back, they may not have been that confident. So. We will see more of that. Primarily, it's having uh, deep pockets. You know, then you can look at alternate fuels. You you may not go right on some of them. May go so that that's the that's the perspective on green strategy. Yeah. Sorry, go go, go ahead. So I, 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 you know, this demand supply goes back in time as well, right? Because you know. 2019, 2020, you know, we 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 had the low period, and many ships were withdrawn from the market. Many remained unused as well. So, you know, there were buildings which basically, you know, went in for scrap as well. And 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 the new regulations started to come in. You know, around uh, you know better green managed ships, and 
that did create some sort of, I would say, scarcity as far as the space is concerned. And it takes time to basically build a ship and, you know, the prices have increased uh, as well in terms of, you know, the cost of inputs. So uh, many buyers, you know, were also in a dilemma that, you know, considering COVID and the uncertainty, is, is it the right investment to make? And even today, people don't believe, uh, you know, that new investments are something which uh, one uh, should be making because they don't know whether the prices will sustain, you know, and the returns would basically justify the risk and the investments. So there is that, you know, uh, that risk averseness as far as investment is concerned. So, you know, until things change and, you know, uh, I think there would be some squeeze on the supply side and, you know, we would see rate hikes happening, you know, uh, as far as the supply chain is concerned. So, you know, that is uh, that is something which we need to keep in mind. It's a cycle and it's cyclical, but, you know, it may take some time before, you know, we are out of, a, you know, low cycle as far as the supply is concerned. Understood. Thanks. Uh, if there is uh, no other comment on this, then I'll uh, just segue to another uh, related point on this, uh, which uh, is how the the lenders are looking at their green financing strategy uh, in light of uh, these challenges, which to to my mind have been exacerbated or sort of brought into uh, focus with the developments where uh, in in Ukraine, with where so much of uh, petroleum is now sort of uh, petroleum and gas is being held up uh, uh, due to sanctions on Russia. Now. Is that likely to push uh, the decarbonization strategy further uh, uh, than it has than other strategies have worked in the past? And are you facing increasing sort of uh, demand from your uh, customers for uh, green financing, for sort of ESG-linked financing uh, in respect of their shipping? Hi, I'm happy to take this first. Um, so maybe to address your first question in regards to whatever's happening in, in Ukraine, I mean, personally, I do believe that will accelerate um, investments into more ethanol. I think we've been, I, 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 we, I think we are at a phase of business where ESG is pie parcel, everyone's business model. That is some, that is a risk that you need to think about. Uh, that we discuss with every single client that we have, understanding their climate impact, and it's a matter of you know um, where are you in that journey uh, and the choices that you're making. And one of the key takeaways that we have, um, and and uh, Captain Dude and, and Mr. Shaf would be able to attest to is that that you know whilst the end goal um, is the same, everyone is looking towards a net zero by by 2050. The the, the way everyone is taking to get there might be slightly different. And we have seen today already 30% of 30 plus percent of today's new order book has dual fuel engines, you know, and, and largely um, the, the large proportion will be LNG dual fuel, right? Um, and the reality is that is the step the, that, that the industry will need to take. I mean, the, the availability of gas uh, as an alternate fuel is makes the most sensible choice. But what Ukraine has shown us is that, you know, that, that process needs to accelerate. I think the jump to uh, a more sustainable biofuel, whether that could be an ammonia, hydrogen, or methanol in, in, the, in the future, um, 
the world has woken up, you know, that, that reliance to kind of fossil fuels comes at a cost, especially with, with heightened political uncertainty. So that, that investment needs to go. Personally, for, for Senate Chartered as an organization, um, investing um, sustainable linked transactions are, are part and parcel. I mean, we don't, you know, it, it is something that we incorporate in every discussion that we have. So it's, it's not anything special. I think where we want to focus on is understanding um, how each and every one of our clients are going through this journey and how we can support them along the way. Um, I, I know, again, we do believe transition needs to be just. Uh, and then from a shipping perspective, that means, you know, supporting whether that investment goes into a, a dual fuel LNG or a, a dual fuel methanol. I mean, the key aim is what can we do today and then let's not wait for perfection, stop in the way of good uh, and doing something now. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely, and I think there's a very good uh, way to summarize that. Don't let uh, great be the enemy of good. So I think that's a, a very valid point. Uh, PC, Dimitris, I yeah. if you'd like to, yeah, please. Yeah, um, yeah maybe I can go next. Uh, well, I, I echo uh, Kingston's uh, comments. Um, we, we also think that the situation in Ukraine does, um, to some extent, accelerate this um, transition, uh, energy transition to decarbonize shipping. Um, we, we, we continue to focus on, on uh, companies that, that uh, are, are more um, forward-looking in this aspect. Um, and, and not only the investments by the shipping companies important, we also see investments that are land-based uh, is also very important for the decarbonization of, of shipping. Um, it is estimated that you know, north of one trillion of investment is required to decarbonize shipping. And the bulk of that is actually very related to the infrastructure development uh, to enable these alternative uh, energy uh, changes. This, this gives the sense of the magnitude of this uh, task ahead. So we, we we hope that there will be more collaboration within uh, the industry, um, not only through the supply chain, but also with the regulators and the government. Um, yep, so, so that is perhaps a little bit of a different answer to, to your question. Um, but yes, we continue to see uh, importance in, in focusing on sustainability and decarbonization. Um, Dave, if I may, if I may add, um, obviously, the war in Ukraine accelerated some some trends, but especially when we're talking about you know energy mix, and I think what is at stake right now uh, mostly is Europe's ability to satisfy, if you want, its uh, needs, energy you know energy needs for the for its population. These are not things that can happen overnight, and. Yes, there is, if you want a question about, and actually on a daily basis now, we, we receive messages or we see, you know, uh, press releases or news releases about, you know, their energy mix, what they're going to do, where they're going to get, you know, gas, oil, everything. And, you know, somebody said like, you know, in the past that God is a ship owner, okay? Resources are very far away and consumption is, you know, is, you know, you need, you need ships to, you know, transfer all the, you know, the commodities and the goods to the consumers. Uh, but all these things do not happen overnight, okay? Uh, even like, you know, to give you to give an example, Germany just announced they will consider, you know, bringing FSIUs off their shore to, you know, bring LNG. These things, you know, could have been thought 
years back, okay, decades back, the thing has, you know, accelerated the trend. One thing, if you want, that we see quite often these days is actually the S on ESG, not only the environment. We, we, our lenders, our clients are in constant discussions on where do they, you know, lift cargoes, where they dispose cargoes, who are the charters, who are the users, okay? The environmental aspect is one thing, the social aspect is another, I'm tempted to say even bigger thing right now, especially, you know, within banks and their compliance departments. My two cents. That's an interesting point you made, uh, Dimitri. So the S aspect of the social aspect. Uh, one point, and, and I'll just very briefly ask uh, Captain Dutton about this. Have you seen an increased scrutiny about crew practices, about where the, uh, uh, what the treatment of the crew is or anything around those that have come in uh, under scrutiny from your lenders? Uh, okay. Um, no, um, not, not specifically. No, we, uh, of course, uh, uh, we have maintained um, as far as practicable um, all the benefits to the crew. I know uh, where you're coming from because 2020 onwards and 21 has been a very, very miserable time for ship's crews, primarily because of COVID regulations across different countries, um, inconsistent policies, uh, which obviously most countries did not know how to react. So the safest reaction was no crew change. So people ended up serving 12, 15 months uh, when their normal tenure of duty is four months. Um, so hopefully that is behind us now. And, and uh, as maybe except for China, as other countries normalize, uh, the basic um, rights of a crew member would be met and they would be allowed to um, get off when they finish the tenure of duty. I think that is fundamental. Uh, but aside from that, uh, no, um, so long as the crew are engaged on um, the typical contracts, uh, that is um, probably adequate for at least our lenders, yeah. Great, thank you. Uh, so just coming back to sort of the more current outlook uh, and what you see going forward, what would you say is the biggest threat uh, to the availability and variety of ship financing for the next, uh, say, two years, if you can just sort of get our crystal balls out? Uh, of course, we have uh, uh, the predictions, or not predictions, but the, the Fed's intent to raise the rates uh, quite aggressively. And there is uh, also... Uh, persistently high commodity prices, which we've seen a lot of companies struggle to sort of meet margin calls uh, for. Um, so maybe uh, just starting with Gopal on this one, uh, we could have a perspective on what do you think is the biggest threat on the availability of uh, financing for the shipping space? Well, I think, uh, you know, uh, liquidity is there in the market, you know, so, you know, it's all about risk returns and, you know, the outlook for the market, right? And uh, uh, 
so far, it looks like, you know, at least, uh, you know, from a supply chain perspective and a commodity boom perspective, you know, the demand for the shipping will be there at least for the next, you know, couple of years, right? And uh, it becomes attractive to finance and also, you know, uh, able to manage your cash flows as well as, you know, get the right returns. After that, it's a million dollar question, right? Uh, so, uh, the challenge is not on the financing because, you know, as uh, Kang Sin and T.C. Wong mentioned, right? Uh, financing is not a problem. They are looking to lend uh, to, the, to the customers, uh, uh, their customers. I think there will be compliance issues, uh, you know, when it comes to lending. Uh, you know, you heightened ESG uh, now with the sanctions, uh, then you know, the social aspect of uh, doing business, you know, all these things would basically be factored in as far as the lending is concerned. So that could become a bit of a challenge. So that's one. The other thing the lenders would look at is to structure transactions where they can, uh, you know, catch the collateral as well as the cash flow. Okay. So, so these are the things which basically, you know, if a ship, uh, shipping companies willing to, uh, you know, structure uh, it more tightly as a, a financing package, it would fly. Otherwise, you know, uh, shipping companies would have to do better, uh, get themselves rated and go to the capital markets like issue bonds or whatever, if they want more flexible source of financing. Uh, and if they are listed, then, you know, issue uh, equity. So. My take is that, look, I think liquidity should not be a problem, but, you know, the stepping up on the compliance, the cost of compliance, as well as, uh, you know, uh, managing your business well, you know, uh, and with discipline, that becomes a very important issue. And that brings the question is, you know, the biggest question is that, is the shipping company agile? Is the company agile enough to manage and uh, you know, navigate the, the, you know, the volatility, the uncertainty, which crops up very often because the cycles have shortened as far as, you know, the volatility and, you know, the cycles are concerned. And that impacts the cash flow as well. As you rightly said, margin calls keep on coming, right? So, you know, if the company is strong enough, able to manage their business well and their cash flow well, I think financing is available. It's not a big deal. It, the question then is that who is going to finance and who is going to build the ships? And is there enough capacity available to build the ships? That's a million dollar question now. Maybe just on that question, who's going to finance? Dimitris, would you, would you be the one? You're on mute, Dimitris. Yeah, <laughs> it was a wise choice. I was going to say, Kingston or TC, maybe, you know, start uh, who's going to finance. Um, my, my, my personal take is that money will be made available. Right. Okay. Um, I will be very, very worried, very, very concerned if suddenly we start hearing about Greenfield shipyards, okay, being reactivated all the things that you know brought the industry down about 14 to eight years ago all these greenfield yards that you know were promising that they would build everything and the, you know 
the sun. And uh, it, it took a long time, especially for the Chinese shipyards to consolidate and streamline their operations. It's a good, it's a good thing right now that if you want the new building orders are capped, like to extend to the extent that you cannot go and order a vessel and get it in one or two years. It's good for the ships in the water. Maybe not, not as good for the environment. I'll come back to that. But it's very good. And we see with a lot of our clients that used to order ships that right now they have zero new building orders or very, very limited. Why? They have no visibility on what would be the winning trend. There are trends on the fuels, but nobody knows who's going to be the winner. And in some cases, if you want, and shipping that has proven to be the case in the past, the first mover advantage is not necessarily a, a big plus. You have the innovators who will push the industry forward, okay? But sometimes waiting to see, you know, how it's gonna end and for the expenses and the cost, R&D, you know, cost and construction cost to go down, it pays off sometimes to just wait and see what will be the technology of the future. So it's a good thing that, you know, we don't have a huge new building order book. Not, not that good, I will tell you, for the banks because banks need to meet their budgets. Banks need to, you know, uh, keep doing business. They want to focus on new environmentally friendly, if you want, build ships. And that's why we see a huge competition for the top tier names, the ones that order the, if you want, the dual fuel ships, the environmentally, you know, um, friendly ships that all the banks want to do business with them. Okay, so money will be made available. Now, going back, if you want, to the second-hand market, and Captain Dad said that, there are not that many ships out there. People are, you know, especially because even if you were to sell your ship, what are you going to do with the money? If you cannot order a new, uh, you know, a new building, you have just, you know, exit the industry, and it's very difficult for you to come back in. So I think, hopefully, we may see ships... Slow steaming, if you want to comply with the environment, okay? Hopefully some regulation to say that, you know, reduce the emissions of the existing fleet uh, in order to, if you want, preserve the environment and find, if you want, win some time, gain some time until we can, we have the technology of, of the future becomes present and now we can go on and start building, you know, uh, better ships. I don't know. Kang TC, what do you think? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I echo the comment as well. I, I think that, you know, capital has been made available throughout the years. Um, it's a matter of price and financing structure. Uh, but maybe just to add, um, I mean, what could be a bit different this time round is that we do see that some equity providers have been stepping up. I think there is increased recognition that, you know, shipping being a highly volatile industry it's not really meant to be a highly levered one. So it, we, we do see a little bit of discipline, more discipline in, in this aspect. Uh, and also on the lender side, um, lenders are, are less keen to provide high leverage and especially when markets are at a high. Um, I mean, of course, different sectors are at a different stage now, but that is at least uh, our observation. Excellent. I do sense to this. I think, you know, I, I kind of echo the points being made, right? So rather than say, if, you know, what's available, let me let me share what keeps me up at night, right? 
as, as a financier. Um, in addition to, you know, the whole heightened political uncertainty uh, uh, plus the underlying undercurrent of environmental, we are or at, are already at an inflationary market. You know, asset prices, in, especially in certain sectors, are an all-time high. If you take a step back, it's it's across the board, right? Regardless whether it's shipping, this includes your kind of property, real estate, commodities, etc. So we are already at an inflationary price where um, asset prices are looking for. Governments are looking to counter that via kind of both fiscal and monetary policy. And given where we, you know, government's been spending on COVID, um, the kind of policy is to kind of available is to raise in, uh, interest rates. So there could be a period where we are looking at an, uh, an inflationary period plus heightened, you know, uh, heightened uh, interest costs. I mean, I, I tell my junior bankers, which, which grew up in the last 15 years at, at, at you know, 50 basis points LIBOR, 1% LIBOR, that, you know, do you recall what LIBOR was in 1990? You know, it, you know, it went up to 8% at, at one point, uh, thanks to Mr. Greenspan. Um, so, and it's, whilst I, I don't foresee us going to, to that particular levels, we could, be in a, we could be in a tricky spot a couple of years down the road where, where you have the dual storm of, of you know, um, Stagflation, right? So high um, asset inflation plus high interest rates. So, so th those are the things that I kind of worry. And, and companies that have the ability to manage that, have the discipline uh, to uh, um, to utilize the cash balances that they have uh, today uh, moving forward. That's where you know that's where we will differentiate. You know where you know, we'll be allocating our capital. Um, and you know, like Mr. Shah kind of pointed out, you know, companies need to be nimble to react to, especially heightened volatility as you know, to late. Thanks, Andrew. I think uh, so. I think just a, maybe a related question to this is, uh, if if this is the state where there is liquidity which will be made available for the right projects. There are obviously clearer ideas that every financier has on what is the right project. And both Captain Dutton and TC Wong mentioned uh, equity providers that are coming into the market. Uh, Captain Dutt specifically mentioned uh, Oak Tree, which is a private equity fund. Uh, are you seeing more sort of uh, uh, private capital uh, players entering the market? Uh, and again, which is I don't, uh, I'm not excluding uh, European from this discussion, but are you seeing there is more interest and more sort of innovative, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily innovative, but more sort of structured transactions that are being offered to ship owners and charters uh, to meet their ship financing needs compared to maybe five years ago uh, when the interest in these types of, uh, in, in real assets was relatively limited? Should I um, just take that first? Um, so yes, I agree with um, all three, uh, TC, Demetrius and King, that yeah, liquidity is available. Uh, but um, from OM's perspective, we are the equivalent of a SME borrower, you know, and really a relatively small ship owner, nowhere near the big time um, uh, companies. So uh, you are disadvantaged to some extent because you may not fulfill all the criteria of um, a typical ship financing bank, etc. That's why you 
um, turn to alternative uh, sources like Oak Tree Private Equity Fund. Um, the you know the intangible there is the speed and the ability and the certainty of performing the transaction, more or less. Uh, takes care of ad any additional pricing. Typically, it would be more expensive, but in, in today's market, that is not a concern. The, really, the speed and the, um, the, the certainty is, is more, far more uh, critical, yeah. Um, also, I'll just give you some numbers to, to compare for a green vessel, you know, the difference. Um, uh, uh, 8,000 TU new building out of Korea would cost somewhere in the region of uh, uh, um, 80 million. A dual fuel one, the same size, would cost 125 million, almost for 50 percent more. Which means the the charter rate to break even would be that much. Uh, the charter rate for the single fuel is about 29,000. The charter rate for the dual fuel is 42,000. So you would then have to, on a five or ten year period, earn that much more just to break even on the dual fuel, you know, and and it's it's not sure whether all your customers would be willing to pay the premium. I mean, assuming when the market comes off and we get back to terra firma in the next few years, yeah. So that, that's the other comment I had, thanks. TC, you alluded to uh, equity players. Do you have a view on this? Yeah, well, we we do we do see some uh, equity players whom in the previous years have burned their fingers uh, in 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 shipping uh, investments. Uh, some of whom are coming back when they see that shipping uh, had been relatively stable over the pandemic, and in fact, you know, for some sectors, uh, booming. Um, so, well, I I think that is part and parcel, I guess, of equity investors. Um, but in terms of longer term investments into sustainability, um, I, 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 I do hear um, Mr. Dutt's uh, comment that, you know, being a, a, a smaller shipping company, it might not make sense to be as experimental in, in this aspect. But we, we, we do see bigger shipping companies investing in uh, advanced technologies, experimenting in this aspect. Uh, it might be difficult for banks to participate directly in those experiments, but we do um, we, we do favor uh, providing finance to such forward-looking companies. Um, so, so in a way, that equity investment results in um, them obtaining more favorable banking finance as well. So that is uh, sort of an indirect uh, result of that. Uh, if, uh, if not, I would like to just uh, briefly touch upon uh, sort of developments in the Singapore market where we are all based uh, and how you see, you've seen that sort of change in the last uh, couple of years. Has there been a drive towards internationalization uh, or do you feel that there is still uh, Singapore is sort of still a regional hub rather than an international hub, as as the aim has been to make it a, a international hub, global hub of uh, ship financing and ship owning. Uh, 
So uh, Singapore is evolving into an international hub and, uh, you know, it will take some time and some of the initiatives which Singapore has taken has really benefited. One of them is to attract the regional players, including the, you know, the lenders from China and the alternative market players, which you just mentioned, like Oakree and the others. And, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of other incentives which are being provided. So definitely it is gaining momentum. And with whatever happening we see in Hong Kong, um, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of shift into Singapore as far as a lot of banking activity and financial activity is concerned. So I think it's 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 a good time, uh, you know, uh, for Singapore to basically ramp up its efforts with a lot of insurance companies also being attracted in the market right in Singapore now. If I may, if I, if, yeah, sorry. Kingsing, you want to go ahead first? Um, yeah, sure. So, I, look, I think um, I, 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 I agree. I think Singapore is well positioned to be a, a global hub. And they, they have one best kind of maritime port already consecutively for multiple years, right? Um, and and uh, we do see improvements um, uh, every single year. Um, I think from the financing side, unfortunately, you know, we, we all know in the last couple of years, there has been several departures of, of multiple European banks, but that's part and parcel of, of the financial world. And, and we, we are speaking to kind of MPA um, and the finance authorities to see how we can kind of grow uh, uh, the support um, financing system across the border, regardless whether this is banking, insurance, <coughs> or AI, which you know, um, other, sec uh, other regions might be uh, slightly ahead. Uh, but I also want to kind of touch upon slightly in regards to kind of talent development. I think that's something that um, it's very important is if we want to grow Singapore as a hub. Um, and you know, we, we have been working with, with uh, the Singapore Maritime Foundation, uh, with university students to nurture their interest in shipping. Uh, um, you know, um, uh, uh, a challenge was done the last couple of weeks. You know, we worked together with them, uh, posing questions um, the same questions that we're asking today to ourselves, to university students, to see you know the kind of solutions that it can provide. So, so we do see uh, the 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 framework that's been put together in regards to kind of nurturing talent, the digitization team that's you know concurrent with uh, Singapore Maritime Week, uh, and and pushing now with opening borders uh, and loosening controls, um, all moves point to the right direction. So. Uh, yeah, I was going. I was going. If you want to um, say more or less what uh, you know, Kingston said. Uh, we had in the last four or five years, we had a, a good number of European lenders exiting shipping. Some of them exited shipping altogether. Uh, the vast majority of them, however, just exited Asia. It became very expensive for them. Cost of doing business in Asia is, especially you know, if you run out of Singapore, Hong Kong, very expensive. And for a shipping desk to support a whole banking license, you know, uh, operation, is very difficult. So we saw several banks leaving. Having said that, we are firm believers that you know the gravity of shipping, and it looks like shipping finance is, you know, moving. The center of gravity is moving east. So Singapore has been extremely successful in attracting 
banks from Japan, uh, slowly Chinese leasing companies, Taiwanese, uh, you know, uh, banking institutions, uh, Korean banks, Australian banks. I think Singapore has become the center of Asia Pacific as more and more, if you want, lenders become active in this part of the world, in the shipping industry, Singapore will become the port of call for most of these lenders. Let's see if they, you know, the Westerners will, uh, you know, come back. But as far as Asia is concerned, Singapore is definitely the center of, you know, shipping finance. Now, my role here is a little bit uh, difficult to remind everybody that unfortunately we have run out of time. <laughs> But also it's very pleasant because I'd like to thank you all for a tremendously interesting discussion. Thank you for your collective uh, brain power. Devotam, thank you for uh, moderating. And again, all of you, uh, tremendous thanks for, uh, for joining and uh, sharing your insight. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Nicola.